0: Welcome to Legends from the Fireside. Standing upon the shoulders of giants in this genre, Legends from the Fireside is a hybrid storytelling RPG podcast set within worlds of sword and sorcery. In our tales, the dice tell the fates of those worlds, for good and or for ill. No character is sacred, survival is not guaranteed. As storyteller and game master, I craft the narrative from these dice rules and create quests from this chaos, all without knowing what could happen next. Listener discretion is advised as we may explore dark corners of this genre. But, come now, for adventure awaits. Listen in to the Legends from the Fireside. In the last episode of Legends from the Fireside, our party traveled closer to their goal of Solon Hill, The party hear further warnings of the hag, Fagritha of the Pale Moon, who dwells within the Bevern wood. Unfortunately, the party needed to travel through the same forest they were warned of. The party are able to scrounge up some old maps of trails heading north to Solon Hill, and they begin to make their way. The party initially had good luck with traveling into the wilderness, but their luck immediately turns when they run into the hag herself. Fagrida showed little mercy and killed Mars, fleeing after taking too much damage from the rest of the party. Apart from this, we learn a bit more about Teriad's background, including his first steps along Hemwall's path. Chapter 18. Part 1. Day 47. Evening. Party status. Tariad, eleven out of eleven hit points. Belgin, two out of eight hit points. Kelum, eight out of eight hit points. Theodor, ten out of ten hit points. Spells prepared. Tariad has prepared light. 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 Belgin has prepared phantasmal force. Belgin looked down at his hand and saw it was completely painted with crimson. As his burning hot wound on his face bled freely, he tried his best to regulate his breathing. He fell then to a log in the camp, and he hurried to press his cloak to his wound in order to stop the bleeding. Thedor and Kellum understood that they would not likely survive another attack from the hag, and as such, their eyes were wide open, and their senses were as heightened as they could physically be. Over his shoulder, Callum hissed to Thedor, I can't see her anywhere. I think she ran off. Theodore agreed that she seemed to be gone, but the weight of the past few moments was beginning to descend upon them. Callum's fear then turned into rage, and he gripped Morris' enchanted spear with a white-knuckled grip. As he stood there, prepared to strike, he glanced down to his feet and saw Morris's pale and blank expression and Teriad that was kneeling over him. Kellum then whispered down to Teriad, betraying his heroic stance with a tremble in his voice. Teriad. Is he, well, did he? He has left us. Morris is gone. Terriad replied mournfully. Kellam cursed under his breath and then returned to his stoic stance with a spear and shield. Theodor, I don't like this quiet, but I think we managed to wound her well enough to fend her off. As his grip loosened for a moment, he stepped back into the camp and lowered his guard. Looking over at Belgin, Kellam saw just how badly wounded he was. Kellum trotted over to the gnome's side and knelt beside him, still towering over his diminutive form. Belgen quickly lifted his free hand to the warrior and assured him that he was okay. As Kellum looked back at the other two, Terriad asked him with a desperate look on his face, What do you think we ought to do now? Surely we can't stay here. While I think it's clear that sticking around here in the camp is a dangerous plan, I think that leaving in the dead of night will not only be exhausting, but also very dangerous when we consider how much dwells within the Bevern Wood. As with most of these dilemmas, I'll consult the Oracle to see what decision they'll make. As a quick note for anybody hoping to use the D6 Oracle I've been using for solo play, check out issue 12 of Yum DM's Monthly Zines. The Monthly Zines are a great resource and certainly worth checking out this isn't an ad or anything like that, but I just think that they're really great resources and figured I would give it a plug. One other tidbit that is also interesting about this oracle, somewhere along the way I swapped my d6 oracle table so that my yes options range from 1 to 3, and the no options range from 4 to 6, which is the opposite order of the original tables from the yumdm magazine. So as far as I can tell, it makes no difference. Anyways. I'll roll now to see if they will leave. I got a one, which is yes, but. I'll rule that they agree to leave, but with this agreement, there's a disagreement which drives a bit of a wedge among the party. As Kellum looks about, he agrees this is not the safest place to be and says, we should leave, pack up what we can, and we will go through the night. Belgen looks up at Callum and asks innocently, What about Morris? We will need to carry him back to Stormfair. We can't leave him behind. Callum then looked to the wounded gnome and said, I understand you want to honor him and to give him a proper burial, but we cannot be caught off guard in the forest with his body slowing us down. Please trust that I want to offer him that dignity he deserves. But we cannot do that." Tariad then turned around to face Kellum, and his solemn expression caught Kellum off guard. Tariad replied in a cold tone, "'I will carry him back myself if I need to.'" Theodore then looked quickly to Kellum, and Kellum sighed heavily, apparently agreeing that this will certainly hamper their march through the darkness. The disappointment on both Teriad and Belgin's faces cannot be ignored. Kellum agrees, then, to help wrap Morris in a spare tarp that they had used with their tent, and the two would carry him on the trail. Since they will be traveling to the point of exhaustion, if they are caught in an encounter, they will take minus one penalties to all of their attack rolls. I'll now roll for any potential random encounters, encountering something on a one or a two. I got a one. Oh great, let's hope that this is something less dangerous. After a few painstaking hours of travel under starlight, Terriet and Callum groan as they shift Morris's weight around within the tarp that they carry now over their shoulders. Belgin and Theodore lead the party and Belgin points out a clearing up ahead. As the quartet wander into the clearing, the tall grasses almost completely obscure Belgin and Theodore's vision. As they continued on their way, a few glowing orbs began to appear among the grasses, floating up around the party in a large and encircling pattern. Almost in disbelief, the party lowers Morris to the ground and begin to slowly draw their weapons. They stood looking around with the flickering torchlight illuminating the field around them. Suddenly, an eerie disembodied voice called to them with a creaking and broken tone.
1: Who dares enter the domain of the Greether of the Pale
0: The party appear confused, but not so confused as to be caught off guard again, and immediately stand back to back, shaking out of pure exhaustion and muttering prayers and curses under their breath. Among the grasses, a troop of small, impish fae were disappointed that this usually terrifying display little to scare this group of seemingly resigned adventurers. Belgin was not a cowardly man, as has been demonstrated a few times, but he knew well his limits and capabilities. As he looked down at the quartz and his ruby, he realized his only remaining spell was going to be of little use to him now. How could he possibly trick the hag with an illusion? Suddenly, it dawned on Belgin what might be going on. The glowing lights and the eerie voice appeared too performative to be the work of that fiendish being. As a few tense moments passed, Belgen held his hands up before the light of the torch, and with some intricate maneuvers of his hands, the shadowy image of a panting dog appeared within the light. From the darkness, someone projected the sound of barking, and the already confused travelers were now doubly confused at this childish display. Suddenly, the lights descended among the grasses and the party lowered their weapons. A tiny voice then called out from the grasses.
1: What are you doing here? Wandering among the trees and walking in the starlight?
0: Dumbstruck, the party were speechless, though Belgen quickly stepped forward and made a plea for the party. Please, we are friends of the people of Stormfair, and we are hoping to return there with our friend as Belgen gestured to the corpse in the tarp, hoping they would see him. We've crossed paths with the hag who haunts this forest, and we barely live to tell the tale. Luckily, the party had only encountered brownies, a dozen of them nonetheless, but they did not wish the party any harm. Instead, they were merely looking to play one of their pranks upon these wayward adventurers. Being good-natured Fae, they agreed to let the party go, simply disappearing again and leaving with childish-sounding giggles in their wake. Chapter 18. Part 2. Day 48. Early Morning. Party Status. The party status has not changed. As the party arrive again in the town of Stormfair, carrying with them the burden of their fallen, they receive plenty of stares and gasps as the townfolk understand what they'd been carrying. Exhausted and emotionally devastated, the men barely had the strength to make it back to the Mothswing Tavern. Once within, Teriad paid a group of four men five gold pieces each to dig a grave for Maris on the side of a hill overlooking the valley in the northeast. The final resting place for Morris was a tranquil and beautiful one. The wind blew gently through, and the sun shone overhead. The men slowly lowered Morris into the hole, and all listened intently to the last rites, as Teriad recited them in a stoic tone. Though everyone had trouble focusing on what was said, due to their exhaustion and the heaviness of what had taken place, They all felt that Theriot had honored their companion. And all felt that this was a fair enough place for Maris to be laid to his final rest. Taking the rest of the day to sleep and gather themselves, the party regrouped the next day. All in attendance agreed that having one less member would make this much more dangerous. For this reason, they agreed to hire on some retainers. Before I do so, I'll roll in the oracle to see if there's much competition among mercenaries in this area. I got a three. This means yes and. So yes, there are a lot of mercenaries for hire and this has lowered the price they charge. To generate the mercenaries available for hire, I'll just roll a few random NPCs on the old school essentials website. I'll roll up four potential characters and I got a neutrally aligned fighter, a lawful magic user, a lawful thief, and a chaotic fighter. Due to the fact the party were seen entering the town with Morris, they will take a minus one penalty to this next roll, though their generous offer of 10 gp up front and two gold pieces each following day, and Kellum's positive charisma will allow for a net of a plus one bonus to the reaction roll for hiring. For anyone unaware, the reaction roll in OSC will impact the acceptance and loyalty of the hires. For the first offer, I got a 10. So, they will hire on the neutral fighter. I suppose I'll name this fighter now. I figure Sanjean sounds like an interesting enough name. The second hire, I got a five. So the Lawful Magic user refuses the offer. The third, I got an 11. Wow. So the Lawful Thief will join them as well. I'll name him Canard. For the last hire, I got a four. So the Chaotic Fighter will not be joining them. The party realize hiring two more members is certainly helpful but knowing their trip through the forest may be just as deadly, they decide to wait one more day to hire anyone else that might be available tomorrow. The next day has less available to hire, only one character, a lawful fighter. For the offer, I got a four. Thus, they rejected the offer. As far as stats go, Sanjin rolled up four hit points, and he wields a mace. And wears scale mail. With a shield, that brings his total armor class to 6. Kennard, however, only rolled 2 for his hit points, so I wish him the very best of luck out there. His weapon of choice is a short bow, though his high dexterity affords him a small bonus to attacks and armor class, bringing his armor class to 6 in his leather armor. Chapter 18, Part 3 Day 52 Party Status Teriad, 11 out of 11 hit points Belgin, 8 out of 8 hit points Kellum, 8 out of 8 hit points Fedor, 10 out of 10 hit points Sanjean, 4 out of 4 hit points Canard, 2 out of 2 hit points Spells Prepared Terriet has prepared Light, Light, Light and Cure, cure Light, light. Belgen has prepared Phantasmal Phantas- Force. 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 Force and Chromatic Mormon. The adventurers agreed that it would make more sense to travel the longer and now safer path, heading east to Leader, then heading north and west toward Solon Hill. The first day of travel was nearly perfect a warm day with gentle breezes and a clear sky. Tyriad at one point mentioned to the party that Morris must be looking out for them. With this bringing a few smiles to people's faces, the rest of the trip seemed to be a quiet one, with each traveler deep in thought and feeling the pain of losing their friend. I'll now roll for random encounters, needing a one or a two for an encounter. I got a five. So they travel now without any issues. On the second day, the party reached the village of Leader, and the clouds in the sky never seemed to break into rain. The people of Leader were not as rude and dismissive as those from Dragden, but they certainly were not as welcoming as the folk of Stormfair. I'll roll now for a random encounter. I got a 1. I'll look now for the encounter within the OSC table for forests. I got humans, but which sort of human? The table says they'll be encountering a noble. This is truly intriguing, as the nobles of this region have a bit of a reputation for association with the Ravenous Maw. Being this close to Solon Hill and the ruins, it's certainly an interesting coincidence. So, let's see if the noble and leader has connections to the Ravenous Maw. I'll roll now on the oracle. I got a two. Which, this means yes. So, it would seem this noble is indeed a member. I'll ask the oracle again. Are they headed to Solon Hill? I got two. So yes, they are. Are they going to be traveling with retainers? I got a three. So I got yes and. So, yes, he is, and they will be traveling with some of the mercenaries from a few days ago that the party were trying to hire, the magic user and the chaotic fighter. Let's now see how this all plays out. Callum is the first to enter the Blue Rock Inn and Tavern, with his party in tow as he approaches the bar looking for rooms and meals. The innkeeper welcomes them warmly taking their coin and presenting them all with ale and shanks of roast lamb and potatoes. Kelum then asks the innkeeper if he has anything to say of the people of Solon Hill. This bit is new to all of you listening, but the innkeeper informs Kelum that the dwarves of Castle Rosehome have been causing issues for the townsfolk of Solon Hill. Kelum appeared perplexed by this point, asking incredulously, What exactly are dwarves doing out there? The innkeeper shrugs. It seems like they joined the soldiers of Castle Rosehome, but they've imposed strict rules and curfews on the people living within and around the fort, including my own sister, Cameline, and her family. Since the innkeeper assessed Kellum's character correctly, he leaned in and says... If you can somehow help my sister and her family out, I'd be willing to repay you, somehow. (laughs) Kellum nods solemnly and says, I'll help if I can. To which the innkeeper could only smile and nod as well, knowing the impossibility of such a request. Kellum, ready to turn away and head back to his table, stops abruptly and turns back again and asks, Have you ever heard of the halls of Shaladir. I'll roll to see if he does. I got a one. Yes, but. The innkeeper looked at Kellum with an incredulous expression. I have, but I don't know that I believe the stories of that place. I'm willing to believe the dwarves themselves have been using the place as an excuse to hide the dead. Ghouls, Hunting and killing travelers in the forest? I don't think I can believe that. I can't say I know where the place is, though. Callum swallowed hard, thanking the innkeeper for his help, and he goes to sit down with his party at the table. Following him to the table, a regal-looking gentleman with short, auburn hair and a well-groomed beard stopped once Callum sat down and introduced himself casually.
1: Hello there. I apologize for my eavesdropping, but I believe I overheard you asking about the halls of Shaladir. Is that true?
0: I'll now have the noble roll a reaction check towards the party, adding a plus one as I see him being the suave sort of fellow. I got a ten. The party perceive the noble's tone as nothing short of helpful. Teriad offers the man a seat, and Kellum says, Yes, we are headed to that place now. We plan on stopping in Solon Hill while we seek the ruins. The noble then strikes a pensive pose with his hands folded before his face.
1: I see. It's certainly not the sort of place many people have heard of. So you can understand why I'm curious as to how you've heard of it.
0: Kellum then quickly replies. We came across a letter between a mysterious group. And the leader of a group of bandits and it details the need to enter these ruins leading us to believe that there is something of value there we simply want to defeat these evil people in any way that we can the noble seems surprised as callum opens up in this way he leans back and crosses one leg over the other saying
1: that's quite noble of you all Though I warn you, that the rumors of ghouls and other such fiends haunting those halls is true.
0: Callum then dismissed the noble statement by replying, There's no need to worry. We have faced other dangerous foes, including that bandit leader himself. As Callum clapped both Belgin and Theodore on their shoulders, he stated proudly, You could even say we defeated him twice. The noble took up an incredulous pose again and nodded slowly, evaluating the gathered men before him.
1: I had heard of the bandit leader Taligore being killed, but I didn't think I'd ever meet the ones who killed him myself.
0: This statement rang differently than the rest. And for a moment, the party began to question their having been so open with a stranger in this way. I'll roll a reaction check again for this noble. And I'll add a one. I got... a four. The noble notices the party growing uneasy, and then smiles at them, leaning in for a moment, and asking in the most persuasive way he can.
1: I apologize for asking this of you all, but would I be able to pay you to accompany me and my hired retainers on our way to Solin Hill as well? I assure you, I can pay you very well.
0: Kellum looks at the noble with a rigid and cold look, before replying slowly, No, I'm sorry. We are leaving very soon and cannot do that for you. You understand, I'm sure. Looking wounded for a moment, the noble tilts his head and smiles again.
1: I understand. It's hard to tell who you can trust these days. I wish you all the best of luck in your travels.
0: Callum waits until the nobleman leaves before leaning in and speaking under his breath. Mm. Lock your doors tonight. We will leave just before the sun rises in the morning. As always, thank you for listening to Legends from the Fireside. If you liked what you heard consider leaving a rating and a review i love reading those reviews and i'll share them on the show as i receive them feel free to reach out at legends from the fireside on x or email at legends from the fireside at gmail.com i would also like to thank the newest voice actor i have had the privilege of working with robin from stories from the first watch Stories from the First Watch is another great podcast to listen to if you're into old-school solo play, and I highly recommend it. If you'd like to lend your voice or to do a cross-promo, DM me on X or email me. I also have two side notes. First, I would like to plug an album that I actually just released. Anybody who has been listening to the show for a long time will likely recognize a lot of the music in said album, but I released an album under the name of Shattered Shield, and the album is titled The Dark Halls of the Dread Knight. You can find this album on Bandcamp. Honestly, anybody who's been listening since the very beginning knows that I've taken a bit of a risk by writing my own music for the show, and I understand it's not always as great of quality as the cinematic sort of music other people have on their shows, but being able to create my own evocative music and stuff to set the tone and the ambiance that I want for my show has been rewarding in a creative sense, but it has also inspired me a lot to continue writing for the show and all of my other various projects. So, if you like the music, please check out the album. And lastly, I will be participating in the hashtag Hexplore24 project, which is very similar to Dungeon 23, Every day I will be doing a bit of exploration on a one-to-one time scale, and I will be having the procedural nature of basic and old-school play design the map for me as I go and allow me to enjoy a truly creative experience throughout the entire year. If you head over to the blog, you can read a few of my blog posts detailing this project, and you can even follow my progress over there as I go. But be sure to come back soon. To listen to more Legends from the Fireside.